1: It's Ashley Hales. I'm host of the Finding Holy podcast and author of the book Fighting Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much. I am thrilled for this special series through the month of November where I'm going to sit down with some of my friends, Brandon O'Brien, Danae Pierre, and Jose Humphries to talk about the theme of place. And whether you live in the suburbs, whether you live in Manhattan or rural America or small town, we want to actually consider how do our places shape our desires, how do the laws and the history and even our winding walking paths shape how we relate to God, each other, and the world around us. I hope you've had a chance to listen to my first conversation with Brandon O'Brien, and this is my second conversation with Brandon, and we bring on a special guest, Danae Pierre. Here's a little bit more about Danae. Danae is the executive director of the Surge Network, a movement of local churches partnered together to put Jesus on display in Arizona. She's a graduate of Covenant Theological Seminary and serves as one of the co-directors for City to City North America. Danae has been involved in church planting, community development, and started a nonprofit that serves birth mothers whose children are in the foster care system. Danae is married to Vernon and they have four children. Stay tuned for one small step to begin to take all of this information into your everyday, holy life. Here's my conversation with Danae. All right, we are super excited to to kick off this whole month long conversation about place and belonging. And today I have Brandon O'Brien joining me as well as Danae Pierre. Brandon's over in New York City and Danae's in Phoenix and I'm in Southern California and we're going to have a great conversation about place. So welcome, guys. Thanks. Great to be here.
0: Thank you. Good to be back.
1: Yeah. So, Brandon. Brandon knows Danae, so I love maybe if Brandon, you jump on, you tell our listeners just a little bit about Danae and why we want to bring her on.
0: Okay. Uh, well, Danae and I know each other f- uh, through um, our sort of shared ministry connections with City to City. So I work in our um, kind of global office in New York and Danae is executive director for the Surge Network in Phoenix and uh, is part of the leadership team uh, for City to City North America. So um, we're sort of in this city to city um, global church planting work together. And uh, Danae and I kind connected, I feel like, at a number of levels. We're both adoptive parents, which is uh, one of those kinds of experiences that I find, you know, gives you a lot in common right away. Um, And uh, Donata's really interesting work in um, uh, church planting. She and her husband planted a church in Phoenix and then working with uh, a a very diverse group of pastors and church leaders in the city um, and working across denominational lines and social, political kinds of things. And so I find talking with Danae very interesting always because she has a very broad perspective and lots of actual experience uh, crossing lots of lines, of <laughs> lines and boundaries. And um, so she's a Phoenix native, and uh, which means she's doing ministry where she grew up. I think mm-hmm. that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so those are some of the reasons I thought you'd be a great guest for what you're trying to do.
1: Love it. It's so great, though, to have you on today. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Great to be here. Yeah. So what does it look like for you? What's Phoenix like? And tell us maybe a little bit about some of this kind of boundary crossing that you're doing in your life and ministry there. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Well, you know, from an outsider's perspective, Phoenix, it's funny to kind of see us show up um, in different maybe, uh, stereotypes or as the butt of many jokes. So right. I think Brandon was joking about some TV show that he, that was, uh, hating on Phoenix and <laughs> we regularly show up in national, uh, kind of comedy central type things mm. due to many of our, uh, ch- political challenges. Um, but growing up in the city, you know, my family, my mom immigrated from Honduras, um, with her family and settled here eventually. And then my, um, dad's family's, can trace their family back from the Mayflower in Rhode Mm -hmm. Island for hundreds of
0: years.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They moved out here when he married my mom. So I was born here and, um, you know, being from Phoenix is there it's just it's actually a pretty new thing even being born here and raised here you would still say you were from wherever your family was from so right. whether that's mexico or central america or the east coast or people always had a sense of where they were from not being the place that we were mm. growing up in It's just such mm-hmm. a, it's such a newer city and has right. recently expanded um but then also just phoenix particularly has has my whole life had a lot of um just Harsh, dividing lines in terms mm. of the immigrant population in our immigrant community, and so we have people who, um, you know, we have Chicanos and families who've been in Arizona since before Arizona was a state. You know, kind of Mexican American yeah. families, um, but then we also have first generation immigrant families, um, some document, some documented, many not, um, and so so there. So I grew up very aware of racial tension in our mm. city in terms of which, were you here with papers or not? Were you here legally mm-hmm. or not? And there's a lot of um, kind of condescending language around that. So, so so I would say actually growing up, for the most part, I really didn't like Phoenix. I was really mm-hmm. aware of this being a place I wanted to get out of. Right. Um, we'd go visit, you know, we go back east, visit ba- family in Boston and um, go to bigger cities and always loved that. And uh, really kind of sense, yeah, this this is a, it's not the south, so it's not, right. it's not quite... Um, you know, we're, we're probably more like California than we right. are like Texas. But it's just an interesting space in terms of so many different cultures all clashing here, but they're not being hospitality toward right. outside. What, who would be perceived as outsiders? So mm-hmm. that's kind of the context I was raised, and I, and I think that has a lot to do with you know, the language that Brandon used to the boundary crossing is I feel like my life, every, my existence was, was Mm -hmm. constant boundary crossing. Um, And so that's kind of Mm -hmm. translated into some of the work I've done just living in multiple worlds and multiple.
1: So Um, how is that? How have you dealt with that tension? And, you know, I mean, there's part of a beauty, right. Of being able to cross multiple lines. um, But there's part of probably a lot of loneliness in that, in those positions too. So how have you stayed in that tension? How has your faith kind of allowed you to, to be in that in, in between a lot of different places and how have you then provided some hospitality, like you're talking about for, for these outsider groups?
2: Yeah. So I, you know, my husband and I, we met through planting our church 13 years ago. So he was the lead planter and I joined the core team because it really, the vision from the beginning was around being a multi-ethnic church. Yeah. And so that really was appealing to me. Um, and, and we did, we planted a multi-ethnic church. Um, and I would say really in the last four to five years of the rubber has hit the road where it was mm-hmm. like, oh, we don't just want diversity. We actually want reconciliation. Mm. So I think the gift of being raised in multiple cultures and navigating anywhere from like a Hispanic Pentecostal church to a, um, you know, you're a kind of average, strong, maybe Bible evangelical right. church, but, but all Anglo kind of like just navigating different church cultures and actual, um, you know, city cultures as well. I think it actually helped us. My husband and I both, he's also, um, first generation mm-hmm. American. Um, it helped us be good mediators, but mm. what we realized in the last four or five years was that's still different than bridge building and moving towards mm. reconciliation. And so that's really what we pressed in the last five years of saying, you know, we can, you can, you can loosely convene people, From lots of different backgrounds um, under the right conditions, but especially in this more recent hostility and polarization, only not yet the gospel, but like really fleshed out in day to day relationships of practicing forgiveness and confession and reconciliation, uh, only that can really kind of keep us tethered at a deeper, like a deeper intimacy with one another is needed. So Mm I don't know if I answered your question, but I would say, (laughs) so I think the um, gift of doing it with a community of people has become really, really rich. Um, Mm -hmm. So I say now the church I'm part of has become like our dream church. Mm -hmm. There's been real painful seasons, but this last three years, two years especially has just been like, wow, there really is fruit of a decade or 13 years of practicing this type of work together. I don't know, apart from deeply identifying with the sufferings of Christ, you can remain in the tension um, because there is, there's comforts, there's privileges, we both have college educations. I'm working on my diet. Like we have so many, we have so many privileges and um, comforts and we can easily remove ourselves if we want to. And so you can't, you can't remain in tension without remaining in Christ. Um, And Mm. similarly, we've had many friends who've remained in the tension and the suffering, but, but wandered and kind of left their faith. And I could see how that could happen too. And so the, 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 the need for both, um, I think just comes through prayer and really identifying with the sufferings of Christ. Mm. That's great.
0: Yeah, I um, you you said something a second ago that I wanted to ask you about, and, and maybe it's even more. Um, a more important question now that you've described the hardship of church planting over the last decade or so, um, you said that you had not planned to stay in Phoenix and that you were looking for a way out, but then <laughs> here you are now committed <laughs> in ministry in the city. Yeah. Um, what made you decide to stay yeah. and and you know and and now what yeah. <laughs> now that you're here yeah. for a long time it's
2: a, it's a great question, so I joined our church core team on my last year and a half or so in Phoenix before I was going to Tanzania to work with um, friends who had who were planting churches and working in orphanages over there. So I met my husband and I went to Tanzania and I came back and he asked me on a date and <laughs> I never made it back. So that's, how I ended up. <laughs> that's how I ended up in Phoenix. He jokes that I'm a chronic church planter and he's like a local pastor and had I not married, I would have moved on to another church plant in two years. So um, yeah, so but you know what's but but what I've loved about how everything has been orchestrated to over time and and really begin I mean really to this point where I really do have a deep love and sense of um, calling to Phoenix is that there is just this idea of there there it is easy. There's lots of places in this world that are are probably more strategic or just from a place and sense of like um, culture and beauty. Like I love I love visiting New York, you know, and it's like.
1: I mean, Mm
2: -hmm. just how, I mean, just the, the cultural diversity Mm. and it's been really good to say, you know what, like pick an average, not that important place like Phoenix (laughs) and get your life to it. And, 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 and the people, and and there's all sorts of God's people are in this city. And what does it look like just to dig deep roots in a Mm -hmm. place, regardless of um, whether it fits your own uh, dreams or desires or sense of like if, if it's a cultural fit to you, and just be faithful. And over time, God really mm-hmm. uh, um, has done amazing things. Or I just, I, I, it's hard for me to think that in any other city I would have been able to um, be effective in the ways I am in Phoenix. I think the city has really shaped my own sense of calling. And um, there's, there's strengths I'm sure I would have regardless of what city I was in. But Phoenix has been a particular type of soil to help me um push into things I really need, needed to and part of that is because my own story is connected to the city. And so there's a sense of personal responsibility I hold that you know I could pick up and go somewhere else but but this place um you know I have I have mm. history here. You
0: mm. know it's it's a a pretty counter countercultural or counterintuitive thing that you're saying I think because a lot of I think a lot of Americans and even American Christians are sort of brought up to think you need to find the place where you can sort of self-actualize the best context for you to be the most fruitful or to have the biggest impact or to, you know, get the education you want and live in the community you want, et cetera. And what you're describing is sort of the opposite of that, which is, you know, that not finding the most important place, not finding the most strategic place. But it sounds like as a result of staying put, you've sort of found strengths and blessings and other things that you might not have found if you left. Hmm. And so I, it just seems like the um yeah your story doesn't map to the uh the sort of, you know, Hollywood story of leave the place you don't like and go make something better of yourself in the world. Yeah. Um, but but I I I think that's what is really compelling about it. Um the staying put is Powerful
2: yeah and I think I think one of the things that 's interesting, even when we think about place and how it shapes us is such yes there is um, there is a way land and the structure of a city and the buildings we're right, in all of that, but one of the things that has been most shaping for me has been well, the actual people that you end up committing to and investing your life in, and I think that story of kind of um, that's really rampant in American evangelicalism of like go find the place that you can live out your yeah. dreams to the fullest, it's such an individual story of greatness. And there's just not, you don't see that in scripture. You know, it, it's its about God is calling a people. And um, the, the great blessing of being part of the family of God is learning who these people are and doing life with them and watching Uh, miraculous things don't happen from one individual unless you're Mm -hmm. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone else has come from, it's come from the spirit of God working through a a people. And so it takes a long time to do real deep, hard work Mm -hmm. with a people because we're broken and we're selfish. And so I I think there's something about, um, about the individual story aspect that you just uh, laid out. That's, um, it makes it hard for people to, uh, yeah, to, to stay put.
1: Yeah. What sort of habits or kind of handholds have you found, you know, that have helped you and your husband stay put?
2: Yeah, well, um, you know, I think a, a big part of it has been our commitment to our local church. So, um, I mean, part of my relationship with Brandon is God has seemed to create, there's been plenty of op- there's been a lot of open doors for me to have citywide influence or to be part of national conversations, and that's been a huge gift. Um, but I've also watched time and time again where that gets so dislocated mm, and yes. unrooted from like a local
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Um, pot of soil. And I yeah. and I think one of the things we've prayed a lot about is let's make sure that whatever we're doing, whatever we're talking about, whatever we're challenging, kind of systemically in the church. Is like we're actually practicing that in our own church, and we're able mm-hmm. to admit our own failures, our own flaws, we're speaking from a experience, our experience, right. but we're not just kind of like casting judgment on the whole corporate, or you know, or or like giving right. a plan vision for the whole people of God and across America. And that's been really helpful. It's just like a, a, a practice we come back to a lot. Is um, let's not speak beyond our own experience, and let's make sure that this is actually like our everyday church members of all. Education levels like Mm -hmm. this really translates to. It's not just because Americans we love ideas, we love dreams, but like what are we actually building with? Like like is there dirt under our fingers? And so that's been Mm -hmm. a part of it. And then living very deeply and widely into relationships of people who are not paid clergy has been really important to just kind of help us stay grounded and and um, and make sure that 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 we're really leading and serving in ways that are really effective beyond, like, the sphere of the thing, the spaces that we're most
1: often hearing and learning from, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. Hmm. Do you have any stories you'd like to share about, you know, maybe something that started local, that then you were able to kind of develop, you know, from your local pot of soil, as you said, which I love that metaphor, yeah. but, um, <laughs> you know, that started there that then kind of blossomed? Yeah. Well, there's two things that I think we're we're pressing into right now. So one,
2: it 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 isn't it's 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 a seedling, but I would say we really um, going back maybe eight nine years ago. SB ten seventy was a law that was passed in Phoenix. It was very harsh on immigrants, and we had people in our community neighbors who were um, who, who were just I mean just tons of civil rights violations. People were being pulled over coming out of church and ID from Spanish speaking churches and ID and um, we had church plants that lost all their elders and had to shut down and congregations like shrunk to like 15% of their size just because of the fear that was kind of um, raids mm-hmm. were happening mm-hmm. in apartment complexes. So there's like Phoenix has kind of been a, um, a pain point like nationally mm-hmm. known for these mm-hmm. kind of things. And so that kind of started with just, um, you know, our church working with other churches and really under the leadership of one of our um, Hispanic churches here. Um, And that fostered friendship among pastors. And then more recently in the last two or three years, we've begun these neighbor tables trainings where we're taking like, like we just took seven or eight people from our congregation and other churches are taking from their congregation. And we're sitting um, in, we're going to the homes of immigrants who have lots of family members in that home that are not documented and we're sharing meals, praying, hearing stories. Mm. Um, so that I, again, I think a lot of what we're, what we're experimenting with, um, and that, and in terms of reconciliation, but also evangelism, like we, I really believe that there is, there is something yet to be unlocked in terms of sharing the gospel, um, in a way that those who are like experiencing a lot of, disillusionment and pain from the church um, has yet to hear so there's Mm. so we have a few things that i think we're seeing good fruit of Mm -hmm. but it's like a couple years old and it's so much it's so much tension that there's also lots of it's hard to know like okay god what are you going to do with this i'm not really sure there there is a strong racial um division in our church story And, you know, we're in a city that has a very low African-American population, but my husband and our pastoral staff are all African-American. So our church is very, our church is very diverse. And so it's like, we have a really beautiful opportunity Mm -hmm. to try to humbly, but boldly have some really hard conversations that you can't have everywhere and and actually see if we can reshape and reorient the life of our community differently around that for the sake of discipleship. Um, And ultimately, so our neighbors and city Sees Jesus through that's us, beautiful. so um, yeah. yeah. So that's but but I would say those are things that are like other cities we're in conversations with, and people are coming and e- experimenting and saying, "Oh, yeah. that, that didn't work here, but we did it this way," and then we're learning from that. Um, but those, those are kind of the kind. Those are the types of things that we've been seeing. I won't say blossom yet, but have some good buds, <laughs> early yeah. buds, early si- <laughs> I keep saying we have early signs of spring. That's what I feel like Phoenix is. Yeah. yeah. That's I love great. that. Yeah, so it's an exciting time to be part of downtown Phoenix um, and Phoenix as a whole. Um, it's been really fun to see. And we have, we have a huge. I mean, almost one in three, one in three people who I meet are moving like from Chicago. So I keep joking <laughs> with the Chicago guys. Like I, you know, they're just they're just we we. It's fun to see that cultural influence um, on Phoenix. Um, and it's just, a, it's, a, it's, it's especially when people are coming from the Midwest or the East Coast, they're coming for a slower pace of life. And so they're wanting community. And mm-hmm. so in some, some ways, you know, I've said this to a lot of our church planters, like my Orange Theory gym does community just as good as some of our churches do. They go hiking mm-hmm. on Saturdays together. They're doing happy hour on Tuesday nights. Like if they, <laughs> they use the word family, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, community is actually like people are coming here for a sense of, we get to be part of creating something and doing something socially together, which means um, churches need to be far more than just clubs that gather people for social mm-hmm. events and have mm-hmm. to be really, um, powerful and subversive and, and really gospel centered in ways that what, cause what we're calling people to do is, is, is a, is a very difficult, it's much different than happy hour with your orange membership <laughs> <Rachel> members. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so we're, we're, we're talking about, it's, you know, something much richer that we're going to have to offer people if we're really going to see them reached with with Christ.
1: Mm-hmm. So good. So good. What's one thing you might suggest to people who, you know, they don't want to stay put or they're, you know, they're without even knowing it, right? We're, we're viewing churches and our places as another consumer choice. And maybe as they're listening, they're like, oh gosh, I do that. You know, I, I go church shopping for, you know, does this church have all these programs that I want? Or, you know, do I like the worship music or whatever it is? Um, It's so easy to kind of get sucked into consumer model, whether you live in suburbia or not, or, you know, or Phoenix. Um, Yeah. So I would wonder, you know, what's the invitation there for our listeners to think about how do we begin to realize that we have that kind of same consumer mentality and that we actually want the goodness of the church? Mm -hmm. I mean, other than the fact, you know, the Holy Spirit actually yeah. rejuvenates our, our hearts and lives. But, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I would say, and this might actually answer one
2: of Brandon's earlier question, or maybe your question in terms of how do you... Like when it's lonely, is I do think there is a sense of being in solidarity with the suffering in your city. Yeah. Um. So in my city, like people, you know, we have asylum seekers flooding in. I mean, people are literally dying in our deserts. Um. Refugees are being stuck. Are stuck now in camps, and this is like three hours from us. And yeah. it, and three months ago, it was in our city. So, so I think I it it does burden me a little bit how disconnected american church is from the deep suffering and pain in our cities and in some ways i don't really care about i mean yes music is important and you need to hear the word of god preached and but like where are you embedding your life among god's people particularly those who are experiencing Hmm. pain and suffering in our in the margins and how are you I don't even, I'm not even wanting to say help, but like posturing yourself to sit at their feet and learn and listen Mm -hmm. and figure out what life together in your city looks like moving forward. And so, 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 so like every time you change a church because it doesn't have the program you want or you really wish the music was X, Y, or Z or you really didn't like that type of preaching, it's like the world is dying and suffering Mm -hmm. and where are God's people? And we don't have time for these, we don't have time to be like self focused and staring at our own like belly buttons. Like we, God has given us an amazing uh, calling to participate in his mission. He's he's filled us with the Holy Spirit. And, um, and we have a beautiful family of God waiting for us to um, enjoy the richness of what Christ has deposited in them. And so I, I think um, it is consumerism is a huge problem and I would encourage leaders not to play into it. Uh, But for us to really be looking for rich encounters with God and one another as we roll up our sleeves and are faithful to do the difficult things. Um, you press mm. into places of pain in our city.
1: Mm. I love it. Well, we just have a few minutes left, so I would like to not forget. We would love to hear your laundry routine today. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a funny
2: question because, um, oh man, this is, I'll try to answer it quickly. So I have historically pretty terrible with anything administrative so <laughs> i tell i tell people my husband can kind of get a b a b to like a minus in most areas of life he's like you know solid right. yeah i can get like a hundred percent or zero percent yeah and then um the average to an f by the way so, <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> and so
2: administration is a challenge for me so um i had an assistant who seven years ago out of the blue spent a year trying to get a hold of me couldn't get a hold of me and when we finally met for coffee she said I want to volunteer the next whatever of my life to get you your life figured out so she (laughs) went in and she like made me effective in every area of my life um and the last thing she helped me with was my laundry because I was like okay I was like okay if I could just get my home life to look like my work life this would be beautiful yeah and so she came in and she told me her process, Her it's called Lean Processing Laundry. And you basically get rid of all your drawers. You only have every, everything hung up. Um, and you install a, a bar over your washer machine. Uh-huh. And you do, it goes from the washer to the dryer, from the dryer immediately hung up and put away. you got like a drawer for like small, you know. Right. Um, and I only have enough clothes for 10 days. Wow. And so to all my kids... And every Saturday they do their, well, they're actually, I still kind of, we'll start rewearing things. So I'm, I'm still struggling a little bit <laughs> with the like consistent routine, but I can't go, I can never have like a pile of laundry because at the end of wow. the
1: week,
2: I've got to, I've got to do laundry. So everyone does their <laughs> own once a week or every 10 days and it's like it gets hung up and it went from like an all day, you know, yeah. never having piles to like, it's always done and it's always there. And I don't wow. have to what I wanna wear because it's there. I have so little to choose from. So anyway.
1: She, oh, she I I, I joke love that.
2: that <laughs> done I'm like, you have done so much for the kingdom by teaching people <laughs> how to do their laundry. You have no idea how many hours of energy you freed up for people so she's done like workshops on it for like our women leaders uh, oh women my gosh and she, she's well known for it so, oh so my gosh. There's,
1: there's a longer explanation. we'll put all this in information in the show notes for someone who's like yes i want to dig into yeah. you know pain and suffering but also laundry help yes. yeah yeah processing your laundry lean processing your laundry okay yep
0: i always learn more than one thing Every time I talk to today, and that was one that I did not count on today. So <laughs> that's great. Uh, can I, well, can
2: I wear dirty clothes sometimes.
0: <laughs> I was going to word it differently, but yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, I'm a hot mess. Who has a good laundry routine? I love that. <laughs> okay. But thank you for, so much, today. Appreciate so so much of your wisdom and just the. You know, the the welcome into not only, you know, a more spacious life of standing alongside people um, in the margins, but also at the same time, knowing that that's where that's where the Holy Spirit meets us. And, you know, that there's so much beauty in staying put because I think everything around us tells us to keep running. So thank you for showing us the beauty I hope you enjoyed that really insightful, helpful conversation with Danae Pierre. You'll definitely want to go back if you haven't heard already our conversation, Brandon and I last week chatting about place. And as you continue to think about what does it look like to love my place, to stay put, to not run away and fulfill all these self-actualization narratives. What does it look like to stay put, to suffer and love my own place? We have one small step for you to take away, and it's this. Danae simply encouraged us to find the places of pain in our cities and our suburbs, our neighborhoods, and maybe even around our own dining tables, because so often we we just want to cut and run, and yet when we press into those places of pain, we can actually see through a lot of time and a lot of faithfulness that god will be at work and then we'll actually see it's the power of the gospel that's changing our places and not simply that our place and our loves and our desires and all of the things that we're really into has caused a change so then you'll really know your faith is real so press into a place of pain and that might mean that you simply take a small walk to start looking for those places of pain if you've been driving by them and not paying attention. It might mean creating a new habit for the month of November so that you're actually in solidarity with some of the places of pain in your own neighborhood, city, or suburb. So let me know how it goes. Feel free to tag me at Hales on social media, hashtag Finding Holy Podcast, so we can have a conversation about what it looks like to stay put in our places and i don't want you to forget we are giving away hundreds of books you guys it's such a special november here we want to say thank you to you so head on over right now to aahales.com/giveaway that's aahales.com/giveaway there's a link in your show notes you can fill out information so you can win a free book that will help you take the next step into loving your place your life and your God. So thanks for being with us. Make sure you subscribe and share. It helps other people find the Finding Holy podcast so we can all practice connecting the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. Because big things matter, but so does the laundry.